This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, Peach? Welcome back to Rebound and Safety. Have you ever wondered, are we as good as what we say we are when it comes to safety? That's what I'm going to talk about in today's episode. Let's jump into the intro and we'll tell you some more about it. Let's go. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk What's up, people? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. So if you're new here, hit subscribe, hit the bell and all of those magical algorithm buttons. My name's James McPherson, I'm your host for today's episode. I'm also the MD of the consulting company that sits behind Rebounded Safety called Riskfluent Limited. So, have you ever wondered, are we as good as what we say we are? I mean, I've mentioned this a lot on the podcast, we're nowhere near as good as what we think we are. But my argument has always been, we're still killing people. Every single year we're killing people and no one seems to be that bothered about it. No one seems to be really pushing anything. No one seems to be really doing anything. We just seem to be bickering and not actually having any impact on the annual rates that come out every year that has plateaued for the last decade. And then that's just fatality rates, right? If we were to push that to one side and look at the health rates and look at construction dust, if we were to look at occupational cancers, occupational asthma, if we were to look at mental health and stress, these figures are scary, people. They are scary. And that's always been my argument, right? We're nowhere near as good as what we think we are. We seem to be just have this cognitive dissonance when we look at the HSC annual certificates, right? But there's this guy on LinkedIn that is just everywhere like in comments being like what about this what about this and plows those certificates in and he pretty much says we're not as good as what we think we are but we're worse and he's got a statement that basically says the hse stats are nowhere near reality so we had to get him on we had to talk about this so today we're going to talk about how he came to that realization kind of um what that felt like and where he gets his information from we'll talk about that as well and then hopefully in the future, we're going to get, um, I won't say what campaign it is because we'll talk about it in the episode, but we're going to try and get somebody from that from that organization that co- collects that data to come on and talk about the podcast so we can find out a little bit more about that as well. But today's guest is a guy, if you're on LinkedIn, that you will know his name. His name is Vincent Butler. Let's jump into the episode and talk to Vincent. Right. <clears throat> Vince, welcome to the podcast, mate. Oh. Thanks, James. Thanks for inviting me on. That's all right. I thought there was a bit of a delay there then, but I'm, I'm hoping my internet's going to hold out. Um, how are you? Are you are you good today? You're all good? Let me just check. Uh, well, things. generally, yes, uh, but I've got some issues going on with a bit of a mechanical problem in my right knee. Uh, yeah. I'm going to hospital to have it replaced with a half a new knee on the 27th of September uh, up in Oxford. Right. So that'll keep me off the road and keep me from my pastimes for a, a few months. Yeah. But uh, once it's done, I think that should set me off for the rest of my life. Um, and and uh, we'll get back to my golf and uh, doing some active things and having a good time. Nice. <clears throat> when I worked in um, packaging, one of our customers made the, like, I don't know, titanium bits that went on near... Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so we had to we had to like keep all of the products like clinically clean. It was a yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. We we shouldn't have really took that contract on. We were not a <laughs> yeah, uh, like it was kind of food safe level standards. Okay, we, okay, well, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we weren't really capable of doing that though. Yeah. We were just a ragger and tagum kind of packaging company. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, sure. if I get what if I get one of those replacement knees, gyms, I'll be pretty comfortable. It'll be a good one. <laughs> no, it's the packaging I'd worry about, not the problem. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Do you want to do you want to introduce yourself, Vince? Um, in case yeah. you know who you yeah. are. So um, I'm a, a County Durham um uh, person um born and uh, brought up there on the east durham coast uh i went into the coal industry with the national coal board um at age 16 straight out of school on one of the mining craft apprenticeship schemes uh did 20 years of deep mining uh out under the north sea about a half mile down three four five miles out under the sea 16 of those 20 years i worked actually at the coal face uh, doing all the machine work and uh, code face work. And then I became a shot firer, uh, then a deputy, then an overman. And then I moved into safety in the coal mines in around 1990. And then I was appointed as a statutory under manager um, from 1990 till I finished my career in 1994. Uh, so it's a fairly unusual to come all the way through the ranks into a reasonably senior management position. Uh, from a, from an apprentice boy starting at 16. Um, had a fantastic uh, grounding and basis in um, engineering, uh, mechanical, electrical, mining, surveying, a bit of law, um, and also in the development through to being a, a supervisory and managerial person, the management tr- uh, training activity, what the National Corps and Board and British Corps did, was exceptionally good. So that wonderful grounding uh, and and broad base of you know skills, abilities, and activities, and, and techniques in work and management. Uh, then, when all the coal mines closed in the early to mid nineties, uh, British Coal paid for me, uh, and I decided to go into safety as a second career in my mid thirties. I went off and did. I'd already done the NEBOSH certificate in around nineteen ninety one or two, and then in nineteen ninety four. Um, I went off and did the NEBOSH diploma. I uh, did the whole lot in one sitting. Uh, British called pay for all that, so I'm a lucky guy. Um, I kind of had six months out of work still being paid. Uh, that gave me to study full time and get stuck into that. And I was one of the few kind of passed through that uh, process at NEBOSH diploma level at the time. Um, and British Coal found me the job opportunity to come to work with uh, Southern Electric, uh, Southern Electric Contracting. So I moved my family from the uh, Durham area around Sunderland and Tynemware uh, down into Reading. Uh, and I've been here since 1994. So I've done 20 years uh, with uh, Scottish and Southern Energy, their contracting division and the main business. Uh, in construction, in utilities, in the military, on railways. I mean, a, a fantastic broad range. But just think about if if an organisation needs electricity, we probably need to send electricians there. So that, you know, that breadth of, of anything and everything uh, came in. Um, and since 2014, I've been a, a freelance, self-employed, uh, health and safety consultant person 
working for a, a range and a number of clients uh, in construction, um, in the space and robotics sector. And I've just started to work with another client uh, back into um, high voltage electricity utility uh, type of work. I was up in London yesterday, uh, sorry, on Friday uh, doing a site visit to help plan a piece of work to put some high voltage cables in right outside Pentonville prison. So we're going to dig a, dig a very big hole right outside the prison wall, which should be interesting uh, to see what kind of reaction that gets. Um, and then uh, lead through six, seven metres of, uh, of public uh, roadway into a new construction site that's being done fairly near King's Cross Station. So a bit of work up in the in the city. Um, I've done a fair amount of things where I've been kind of, you know, first past the post type of thing. Uh, the podium uh, we use for low height access. I'm fairly sure um, I had uh, the very first prototype of that product made. Uh, in the early 2000s, after the death of a colleague. Um, the two-part gloves uh, that the people use for live electrical work to prevent them from arc burn, um, I was involved in that. Uh, fall arrest safety harnesses onto contracting linesmen working on wood poles. Many, many years before the work at height regulations, you know, uh, you know, first past the post with things like that. And then the creation and development of... Um, risk and safety management systems for peripatetic and outdoor workers. So think of two and a half thousand electrical craftsmen and tradies working in a thousand different workplaces day after day after day, you know, basically pulling the, the places apart, all the asbestos issues, work at height access, um, and elevating the skill level in safety. Uh, again, you know, uh, did some work, did some um, uh, activity around that. Probably nobody had done before. So, um, uh, you know, all of the kind of basis of learning things around work and danger and risk and hazard and managing around that has put that great grounding in. So can figure out most things. Um, and also um, uh, working in the mine, um, I was involved in uh, running and operating the occupational hygiene team. So, you know, airborne dusts and temperatures and humidities, uh, ground dust, uh, ventilation management systems and things. So that that great grounding, um, I think, has been a wonderful asset uh, to, to work in a number of industries for a number of clients, uh, doing fairly successful things. I've had a few activities I've done which have been an absolute disaster. Um, who hasn't? Um, and, and caused a fair amount, you know, significant issue for um, you know, clients and myself. Uh, but we've kind of got past that one uh, and moved on. But generally speaking, um, a happy, contented, um, successful work life that I've usually been kind of over the moon to go to work. I've, I've generally loved my work for all the nearly 50 years I've been doing it and still do so. Wow. So you don't really know much about safety at all, really, then, do you? Uh... Well, uh, <laughs> I, I think I know maybe 7%. <laughs> no, no, really, James. You know, for, for I have a working knowledge of lots of things. I have an expertise of a couple of them things, but I know who to go to yeah. if I get stuck. There's some additional expertise, uh, you know, uh, in the in the safety and health community mm. uh, that can provide that kind of uh, additional uh, support and the rest of it. Mm. So uh, yeah. most of the time, I've done the things I've done. I can reasonably easily recognize I am at the end of my competency here. 
Mm. This this is not what I do. But I know people who have got the competency to come and add support to the team. You know, occupational hygiene, occupational health, um, environmental health, ergonomists, anthropometrists, you know, org, org psychs and things like that. So, um, you know, never been scared to shut up and say, sorry, I can't do that. That's, that's uh, you know, beyond my capability, my competency, my understanding. Um, and uh, can we suggest that we could get some further help here? Mm. And that, that was one of the good things about uh, working in the, in the mining industry. There were um, a big group of people who had those expertises you could call on. Mm. Yeah. So you popped <clears throat> into my world, I suppose, uh, via LinkedIn predominantly. Um, but actually the first time um, was back in my, I don't know, let's just say back a, a couple of years ago where I was on the IOS Future Leaders yeah. steering committee before it came a whatever it is now, which is not a steering committee in my opinion. But um and we had a lovely little group. I'm really trying to really trying to push IOSH a little bit further than we were a lot. I wouldn't say all of us on the group, but definitely had a couple that I talked to a lot that were a bit disenfranchised by IOSH and so on. So we joined this, this, well, a lot of people were saying, oh, you should go. And we went on and anyway, long story short, it was mid COVID. So we didn't really have the impact that we wanted to. It was with IOSH. So we didn't really have the impact that we wanted to. Um, and then we did a digital conference. Yeah. I attended that. Yeah. And you came to that and, um, and your comments were like, really in depth and and quite challenging to to the profession to IOSH and mm -hmm. and to go through. So I kind of kind of connected with you off the back of that and just kept an kept an eye really on um, on what you're doing. And then that that just seemed to pop up everywhere. You're constantly in a way, Vince, it was kind of like you were desperately trying to kind of hold us account and maybe tell us that we're not as good mm -hmm. as we think we are. Uh, yes, that's, that's a re reasonable summary, James. Yeah, yeah, a reasonable summary. So, um, where where does that come from, Vince? That that um, kind of well, need I, I, I think I think my whole life, James. Um, you know, um, there always has to be the one person uh, that's got a bit of bravery um, and a bit of knowledge. That like kind of you know tugs the sleeve of the of the the bosses and the owners and the and the chiefs, and say um, you know you've got all these wonderful stories and all these wonderful things, but what about that over there? Mm. Yeah, and and that's always been I don't know why I'm like that, um, and I've I've done things around helping other people. I think in in almost all my living memory. So I've done charitable types of things from being a boy, from being a schoolboy, 11 years of age. Yeah. You know, I've done St. John Ambulance. Uh, we did elite first aid at, uh, at work. You know, dealt with many, many things. I've been a trade union person for all 48 years of my work and life, uh, and, and still am, um, you know, an enthusiastic and passionate uh, trade union person. Um, I've got to see as well, uh, through most of my career, it's actually been quite destructive. Mm. So I, I probably uh, should have been more senior uh, than I was, uh, yeah. particularly in the in the energy industry. 
Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll live with that. I've still done okay. I'm still, you know, reasonably well off in the big scheme of things. Uh, however, um, you know, when the chief executive officer gets you by your jacket lapels, mm. yes, and puts you up against the wall and say you need to keep quiet, um, are you in the right place or are you in the wrong place? Yes. Mm. Um, and uh, it's it's been quite uncomfortable, but yes, the evidence-based facts are something here isn't right and nobody's asking, nobody's pointing, nobody's saying, and I, I've always done something like that. Mm. So um, I ain't going to change now, um, um, and I'll keep pointing things out. Um, and, you know, I when I finish full-time work, it gives you a bit of time to actually try to read and learn and educate and ask and question, you know, why are things the way they are? So I hook on to maybe eight or ten economists, um, you know, who are suggesting why the world is the way it is. Um, uh, maybe three or four kind of contemporary philosophers, um, you know, who've written copious amounts of books, all uh, evidence-based facts, all good information, the rest of it, and then the things that you thought were happening, there's the evidence to kind of back up what you thought. Yeah. Um, and when you're working, uh, you know, on a busy person and you're, you know, getting into kind of senior management positions, you're putting your 50, 60, 70 hours a week in and running around the country and the rest of it, you ain't got the time to swallow and, and take in and understand and, and uh, work your way through uh, these kind of things. Um, and the world's not a very pleasant place for most of the people on it, James. Um, and uh, the Hazards campaign is one bit of information. I think I came across them in a union conference, probably in the 1990s. Oh, right, wow. I mean, I could be mistaken there. I'm, I'm, I'm flicking back. We went to a university somewhere uh, on a campus in the summertime, and uh, the safety conference was delivered in a different style to anything I'd ever been to before. And I'm pretty sure it was the Hazards Campaign people, but didn't particularly appreciate the significance uh, of what they were trying to tell us uh, at the time, even though I'm a trade union person, a trade union safety rep and, and various things like that. Mm. Um, and we kind of lead on to the last few years and uh, there's a person who's uh, a senior. I, I don't know whether uh, uh, Hilda Palmer is the leading person in Hazard's campaign. She's certainly kind of one of the leading lights and the, the public-facing person. And then um, there has to be some credibility and some sense and some evidence-based fact um, around some of the things which um, the Hazard's campaign are reporting um, the, uh, uh, Hilda was selected in 2020 by SHP as the most influential, influential health and safety person of the year. Now, I would expect that there's been a bit of governance, um, a bit of competence, um, a bit of fact-finding uh, gone through by an, by an organization like SHP Online uh, to look at the bona fides of the information which has been shared 
in order to make such an award, you know, one of the prestigious awards uh, in health and safety almost in the world. Uh, so, so I would kind of hang my hat on, um, and I think most, most of the people probably should as well, on the information that the Hazards Campaign have shared, and usually just before the Workers' Memorial Day every year on the 28th of April, whatever day that falls on, there's an updated set of facts, figures, a resource pack, uh, some information, the justification of why they've said the numbers they've said, comparison with what uh, our regulators are saying, um, and the numbers and the facts and the figures are off the scale different. Um, so in the year in question, I think is 2020-21, HSE reported 142 uh, deaths at work, uh, you know, by and for as a result of work activity. So they would have been reported, um, I'd imagine, under the RIDOR regulations. And the Hazards Campaign people uh, reported 1319, 1319. Now, that's not some kind of rounding up or downer, is it? I mean, you know, you're talking about like just about 10 times more. Um, uh, you know, people have lost their lives at work and then Hazards Campaign go on to see it. Where have we got these numbers from? And some of them are, you know, factual information reported to other bodies other than the HSE. And some of them are estimates based on kind of credible numbers from other organisations, uh, uh, other bodies, uh, charitable organisations like MIND and things like that. Um, and then we, we you start to look into these things and find the same types of numbers, you know, give or take four or five percent, are being reported from organisations at different ends of the spectrum with different levels of agendas and the same types of numbers and uh, credibility of those numbers and, and the evidence behind those numbers are the same. And you'd be talking about something like Hazard's campaign and the union movement on one end and HR magazine on the other end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the numbers broadly uh, for suicide, um, you know, uh, attributable or caused by the effects of something to do with work, yeah. Um, Hazards campaign report 599, 599 people, which is quite an exact number. Um, and uh, the uh, I think it's uh, the HR magazine was reporting around 650. So broadly, um, the numbers are um, about the same. So if they were wrong by 20% up or down or 30% up or down, the issue would be is something is very, very wrong. Mm. The point would be is when you start to make the point about the something very, very wrong, and then you perhaps state where the information came from, then the argument from a, a, you know, a counter person would be, oh, are there only estimates? Mm. Yeah. yeah, but there's some credibility, a bit of research, asking some questions, proving things, uh, and, you know, a bit of governance have gone on. So when something is released to the rest of the world, you would hope that the organisations releasing it have done a bit of governance and a bit of research and a bit of checking, and they can cover off uh, those awkward questions. 
Uh, and that's why I think um, uh, this information is trustworthy, mm. is credible, and we should be taking a lot more notice of it than we are. And to put this, I mean, just as you were talking, I thought I'd better get the the latest update up and we can just kind of put into context the the sheer difference. And I'll, I'll link this in the show notes for, for people, but the whole story, work-related injury, illness and deaths, March uh, 2022 update. Estimates say that the work kills 169 people get this a day in Britain. Yeah. Yeah. Which we estimate the HSE records less than that a year. Yeah. So that, which is just phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Seven people killed per hour. Uh, the UNILO estimates worldwide work kills more than war every year. Worldwide mm-hmm. work kills a uh, minimum of 2.0. 2.9 million people every year. And this is actually one of my favorite quotes. Um, Juka Takala, I hope I'm saying that right, of the ILO, said, if terrorism touch, took such a toll, just imagine what would be said and done. Yeah. And, and I'm, I, do you know what that gets me on, the, on this whole thing, Vince, right? If you, even if you went, even if you disregarded what the hazard campaign talk about because they're est- estimates, right? Even if you went, it's it's nothing. The average for from the HSE recorded deaths is still like yeah. 30 to 140 a year on average over the last decade, more than a decade, which hasn't changed. If you were to divide that by the amount of working, that's like one a week or something like that. Like it's still a massive amount, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Well, probably more than one a week. My maths is terrible, but mm. like, it, it's still a huge amount of deaths a week. So if you had that because of gun violence, terrorism, knife violence, drugs, well, you probably do have it for yeah. drugs, and so no one talks about it. it. We we would it would be on the news, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course, yeah. Of course. And yet the Hazard so, campaign say it's even worse than that. And I I also just wanted to cover a couple of other things. Sorry, just quickly. Um, so there, there's a slide on here. Says a whole story much greater than the HSE estimates and records. Nine times as many deaths caused by works, and nine times, um, which is at least one thousand three hundred and nineteen. Four times as many work rate work related illness deaths, uh, approximately sixty thousand. Estimate that the number of people made ill by work is approximately five times greater than the HSE estimate, at least 6 million. And they estimate between 15,000 and 20,000 recorded deaths of workers from COVID-19 based on 12% of deaths. And then lastly, because you mentioned... because you mentioned stress and mental health, they also have a slide on here. They cover it under work-related ill health. Yeah. Work-related stress, depression, or anxiety, 2,300,000. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It so in, in context with that little, that little section about quoting what's on the Hazards Campaign resource that was out for the 2022 Workers Memorial Day, um, so some of the things you you know I kind of read and look at and figure out and, and think when we when we mention in the media in books in the press in you know the the dreadful scenes that we see with starving kids in various parts of the world and the 
the killers of human beings through history, right the way back into antiquity, from cave drawings and Babylonia and the historians and uh, um, archaeology people who've dug things up. And we figured this out and then we've got written history, recorded history, all the way through the millennia, the centuries, the decades and the years. Yeah. Yeah. We usually list war, famine, disease, disaster, genocides in the context of the mass killers of human beings on Earth in our history. One word that's never covered in there, and if we did some scholarly research and really looked at this properly, is work. Yes? So when you look at them numbers, at least 2.9 million people are killed on Earth every year by four and because of the work they did. And it doesn't appear in that context. I mean, why why might that be, James? Why why is that not, yes, a sixth mass killer of human beings added to the end of the rest of them? So you know, um, the skeptic in me is just because it's it's a direct competition with with the profits of the economy. That's that's yes. Well. Um, I, I, I know it's not the end of the podcast, but I rest my case, my love. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. You. But, <laughs> uh, but I, I think very seriously, that is that is the point, yes, of all of the things I try to do. Yes. And, and, and don't get me wrong. You know, anybody out there that might be listening to this who's screaming at the screen now, what's he on about? There's nothing wrong with profit but not at any cost. Yes. So this is um, this, this is interesting. This is stumbling across something that we hadn't really planned to talk about, Vincent, but I would would be really interested yeah. to um, to get your thoughts on it. There is another podcast that I listen to quite a lot called The World of Work Podcast. Um, yeah. Probably one of my favourite podcasts. And um, I've recently been invited on it, which is a massive win for me. Oh, uh, okay. So Good man. Really excited about going on there. And we're going to get one of the, the hosts on there, a lady called Jane, is going to come on here as well. Uh, and the reason I wanted to get her on is because a long time ago, she said something that really stuck in my head and, and probably set me down a bit of a rabbit hole of which I think this watching your comments and my, and your, you really introduced me into the hazard campaign has, has aided in that rabbit hole, probably getting deeper. <laughs> um, but she said something that really stuck with me in that she said, not everything should be a business case because not everything is beneficial essentially to the profit of the organization yeah, that's yeah. the point of what a business case is it's profitable to the business if we do this and safety have been trying to do that for a long time right you know, if you want to sell safety you've got to show them how it's beneficial to the company yeah. uh, ncrq qualification is one of the newer ones yeah we did their diploma excuse me and there is there is a whole there's a whole uh, assessment on that creating a business case and she said you're supposed to have moral cases so basically there are some things and i would stick safety in there safety environment sustainability um, corporate social responsibility yeah, yeah. like that that they're, they're not meant to be 
profitable for the company and if we stop trying to make them profitable for a company and start having conversations around a moral case and stop trying to just go oh no one's listening to the moral case well i think i think safety might be a little bit better off if we stop trying to bullshit everybody to say safety's good for the business there, there is no there is no evidence to say that safety is just good business um or anything like that. and i just think should we not talk about the the moral side of it a lot more? I, I recently presented to a group of small businesses in like a, a local networking thing. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. When I'm often because of re, the, we, we have the company and then our kind of purpose is rebranding safety. So the podcast is like a campaign for us. And so normally when we do a keynote or something, it's called why and how to rebrand safety. Right. And one of the slides we have on there, we have two slides. We have one, there's a couple of Facebook and social media uh, screenshots of how people talk about safety. And they're, they're not they're not nice comments. They're like, you know, fuck health yeah. and safety and all yeah. of that stuff, yeah? yeah. So yeah. it's safety. Waste of time, waste of money, waste of effort, waste of anything. Just you costs us loads of money and stops us getting on. You got it, right? Yeah. So that's the first slide I put on, one of one of the first slides. The next slide is the names of all the people that died in the previous year, according to the HSE, yeah. on one slide. Yeah. And, and I, the reason I do that is because I want you to see their names. I want yeah. you to see they are people. They're not numbered, yeah. not 127 yeah. people. I want you to see their name. And I normally pick out a couple. I, I, I learn the story and I say, well, let's, let's look at these two over here. So last year, for example, you had a father and son. You'll see the son was, if I remember rightly, 19. The father yeah. was, was, I think, in his 50s, if I remember rightly. They went on a construction site owned by the father. Uh, they went up a, a construction lift. The lift failed, it failed, and they both died. Father and son died together. So not only yeah. did the wife lose her husband, she lost her son as well. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. just one example. Yeah. And, yeah. and I had a raft of people come over at this at this meeting saying, "I've never, I've never had it put to yeah. me like that before." Yeah. Like mm-hmm. one woman came over. Okay. Like, yeah. Good. They were like, she felt uncomfortable. I'm like, that's the mm-hmm. point. That's mm-hmm. I'm not here telling you do safety because it's good for your business because sometimes sometimes it will be and in, over the long run if you're not getting sued and your premiums come down then yes it is but sometimes it's slower it's annoying it might cost you a little bit more you've got to think about things and sometimes it might mean you have to say no we can't do that job or no we're going to be late to do a deadline so for me to say it's business case it's good for business would be a direct lie Elon Musk said in an interview on the Joe Rogan podcast that everybody thinks that AI is going to replace the shop floor worker, when actually he thinks it'll more likely to replace the decision makers in a business, like the managers or the board members, for example. Risk Fluent and Protex AI don't actually think that's the case, though. We think that AI is exactly what safety managers and senior leaders need to help take our organizations to the next evolution. We think that whilst we're doing what we do, AI can get cracking, gathering data, spotting trends, and finding all those hidden bits of data that we 
we can't see, and we can use that then to inform us to make better decisions. If this is something you're interested in, then you totally need to keep an eye out on what Protex AI are doing. And the moment they're running a webinar series, and the first webinar in that series is called AI versus the EHS Manager. If you want to find out more information or sign up to that webinar, then you should go to their website, which is in the description below. That was a very big question. Yeah. Ultimately, like yeah. I'd be interested on your opinion on how safety has for so long tried to try to align ourselves with being solely for the benefit of the company. Yeah. Well, um, I would have a fair amount of evidence and some facts uh, to back it up that in a in a particular part of industry sector um we went at um planning and controlling work um and put a massive amount of effort into that um and the the reason behind it was um performance output profitability etc the spin-off from putting a lot of effort, time and resources into planning and controlling work properly equaled a fantastic safety story. Right. Yes. So we stopped hurting people and killing people and maiming people and doing lots of damage uh, to customers and clients' assets and things like that. Yeah. So, so my history of safety work and one of the reasons why I went about things along with the directors in a particular way is because of my work background in the mines. Right. You know, figuring things out uh, that were awkward, stupid, uncomfortable, dangerous, difficult, um, and, and, you know, hurt and maimed people. And taking that kind of skill set over into a different industry and then trying to share with them uh, you know, to, to kind of critically appraise every time we were unable to carry out physical work because we had the wrong keys, we didn't have somewhere to park, we had the wrong access equipment, we stopped off at the wholesaler and picked the wrong items up to take to the client, we got the wrong address. It's just, just something kind of silly. And all the time you've lost control and your plan hasn't worked, the working person starts taking risks. Mm -hmm. Yes, and fall off the ladder or get electrocuted or uh, damage some of the customer's assets or uh, close the, the, the customer's plant down and things like that. So it was, it was around business performance and we managed to get a safety spin off from it. Mm. But um, when, when you've talked about, James, about listing the names of people on a slide, one of the hidden parts, which I think the Hazards campaign are trying to highlight and under us, is this is UK numbers, not, not the world numbers, just UK numbers. For every one of them people who died because of a work accident, fell off a ladder, got run over by the fork truck, a, a lifting tackle collapsed, uh, they were electrocuted, there was some, you know, somebody locked them in an oven and cooked them. You know, they're awful, dreadful, uh, dramatic stories. For every one of them, there's another 100, yes, a 100 to 1 ratio who die because of the work they did, but not at work. No mm. drama, no ambulance, 
no investigation, no prosecution, no increase in, in insurance premiums, mm. or uh, if there are, it's it's a peppercorn amount. The people who die from occupational diseases, yes, the cancers and the silicosis and the pneumoconiosis and the asbestosis and uh, and all these kind uh, and, and the work-related cancers and carcinogens. Yeah, and and here's a phenomena uh, that's in your in your bullets around the silicosis tsunami yeah. that's coming over here. Now, um, in 1954, yes, my father, when he started work as a boy in the coal mines, learned about silica dust and silicosis. In 1974, when I started work in the mine, I learned about silica dust and silicosis. If we went to a, um, a construction site tomorrow uh, from a mid-level construction company, stopped a couple of guys using a disc cutter, and asked them, tell me about silica dust and silicosis, I would think the answer we would struggle to get. Yeah. Some credible, reasonable, I understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. So we have a cohort of people who are kind of my age and older, who've had silicosis, have died or are dying from the mining, construction, stonework, quarrying, those kinds of industries. Yeah. So we've more or less in them industries got this under control to, to a decent extent and the and the reports are reducing and that's been replaced by construction related silicosis. So the introduction of discutters in the early 1990s because of a technical change in the rules and the laws around reinstating the highway after you've cut it up and put a cable or a pipe or something inside specified the use of road saws instead of we would use the old uh, pneumatic jackhammers you know like a, a road breaker pick so yeah. the road breaker pick was a dangerous piece of kit because of noise and vibration and shards and things like that but what it didn't produce was the volumes and levels of respirable crystalline silica uh, uh, which you know all of us have, uh, have seen so our colleagues in the British Occupational Hygiene Society, you know, a trustworthy, um, a credible, uh, professional, you know, highly qualified, uh, you know, fairly well re uh, regulated, highly re regulated um, a part of um, a contribution to business, have done their uh, report recently to the All-Party Parliamentary Committee on Respiratory Health. 2.2 million people in the UK, from the construction industry, at significant risk of silicosis. So this is from the early 90s to, to today, yes. And think about the, the death rate when it spikes hasn't arrived yet. The kind of 30, 35 years of latent time between breathing the dusts and, and, and getting ill and, and dying from it, that, that hasn't reached us yet. That's still to come. Um, and that's after the cost regulations, the original form came along in the late 80s, early 90s. So disc cutters and those type of machines came along at around about the same time. Mm -hmm. How have we managed this, James? How, how could this possibly have happened? It, yeah. It blows my mind the some how how so I mean you're you're throwing out dates there where I'm either a kid or yeah. Yeah, or, or wasn't even born, and yet when when sil silicosis, what a crystalline silica was, kind of 
coming into my knowledge, it was kind of communicated. I wouldn't say overtly, but definitely kind of covertly communicated yeah, yeah. Kind of like a new risk. Like yeah. new mm-hmm. risk. We didn't know about crystalline silica before now. Mm-hmm. This is brand new information. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but you know, not- I, again, I rest my case. And, and here's the point. We've known about this for at least 100 years. Yeah. yeah. From science as it was at the time. I've seen some resource pop in to my LinkedIn feed. Some kind of little black and white video uh, clip from... Uh, uh, 1938, right. about silicosis, an American production. Really? So, in the, in the people who are interested in this in this field, let me try. Um, um, there's there's a, a wealth of information, and the British Occupational Hygiene Society, our colleagues in BOHS who do all of the asbestos um, uh, qualifications and things, you know, the P401 through P405 and things like that, their origins was the National Coal Board. I think it's the same with the Institute of um, Occupational Medicine, IOM. Again, that was that was National Coal Board people, way back in the day. So my, the, the reason I get so passionate and, and uh, you know, upset, genuinely upset about this kind of thing mm. uh, is, uh, you know, there's going to be a tsunami of people who are going to die, dreadful, awful, indescribable deaths mm. and we've sat and let it happen so so you know See, when when i make the points i make are we as good as we think we are where where were all of us from yeah. the 90s onwards saying excuse me boss this ain't right yeah and the the reason why this kind of perked my particular interest uh was i think around 2015 at the thames valley iosh branch Right. We had colleagues from JSP, one of the great manufacturers of uh, safety kit in the UK, mm-hmm. came along and demonstrated the Fred the Head demonstrator. I don't know if you've ever seen it. So they've got a they've got a, a headpiece uh, inside a um, a kind of a, a glass cube about a meter by a meter, um, and they have like a, a cylinder sits underneath the headpiece, which uh, depicts the human lung with a highly polished glass. So they put a mask onto the headpiece, they apply some smoke into the cube, which the headpiece sits in, and they draw the plunger, um, which is depicting breathing in. And if the mask isn't fitting properly, then the lungs fill with smoke. It's a wonderful, wonderful piece of kit. Wow. Uh, um, uh, That was demonstrated, and the idea behind it would be is the right kind of press-to-test respiratory protective equipment and the, one of the main selling points was around silicosis. Mm. So I'm sitting there thinking, I did this in 1974. Yes? You know, the, the slides. Mm. Okay, so we had them on probably one of the overhead projector type of things <laughs> on, on a handout in 1974. I'm an old man now, Jim. <laughs> so it, it was the same. And I'm thinking, I've seen this, you know, one of these voodagier moments. Yeah. Uh, you're getting your life. So I'm kind of, excuse me, this... This isn't new. This is this is getting on for fifty years old now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, the leverage for people to buy RPE, yeah, mm. is now the the new thing on the block. And we've known about this for a century. Mm. Yes, James, I've been to. I went to um, 
five exhibitions circa 2016 through to 2019. Yeah. And I stopped by maybe 28 to 30 um, exhibition and trade stands. Right. That yeah. specifically dealt with either the manufacturers or suppliers or wholesalers or retailers of respiratory protective equipment. Yeah. And I would say, without fail, I would have left that trade stand after engaging with the people who work there, yes, um, with a disagreement, even to the point of, we'll take you and beat you up. There you are. How many people, how many times has that happened to people in a safety conference, in a safety exhibition? Yes. Go away. What you're talking about doesn't sell dust masks for us. Mm. Yes. So my view of the world, I've been fighting dust for 50 years now. Mm. Think about my mining background and my father's mining background. All of my uh, grandparents died from lung diseases uh, from coal mining. So it's been a whole life for me. Yeah. Um, what about uh, the research and development and the creation and invention and application of kit to kill the dust at source? So you don't need to have respiratory protect, protective equipment, mm. but that doesn't sell dust masks to use. Mar marketing is a ma is an amazing tool, right? And we I'm, I run a business. I need to market. I get it. Yeah. But there there is there is such as, as a, a kind of slightly related, slightly different topic is is welding fumes, right? So I've been doing a lot of work recently yeah. with fabricators. Yeah. Nasty, nasty stuff. Yeah, nasty stuff, right? Welding fumes. And I had a conversation the other day and um and the guy was like, Oh, well they've they've got RPE. And I was like, Well, yeah, they've got RPE. But there's two problems with that. One, the RPE is in a bag covered in dust, and these guys yeah. do but welding every single day. So you try and tell me they're using that RPE. Mm -hmm. like, they're yeah, not. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's just put put that to one side mm -hmm. and forget that. As far as my interpretation of the HSE's guidance and standards of, of how to manage the risk of world and fume is is L LVE, low exhaust. Yeah, yeah. Try not to have the world and fumes in the first place and reduce yeah. it. That. But whatever's left, we manage with low exhaust ventilation, local exhaust ventilation, right? Yes. And then we have RPE. So if the fumes are so big that the air yeah. is not enough, we would then have RPE as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if we're, I don't know, welding in some weird place that we can't have. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. So we like the site type of work in awkward locations. Yeah. Where where you've got to also think if you if you have to transport all of the LEV kit to a um a, a difficult to access place, you might actually increase the risk of the job. Mm. Yes, you know, people fall over and drop things yeah, yeah. and tip off ladders and, and things like that. So the whole job, uh, and sometimes we miss those kind of things in safety. Yeah. And I've got a lifetime of, uh, of experience of things like that. You yeah. have to use a scaffold. You have to use a scaffold. You have to use a scaffold. Okay, I've got to now carry all the component parts of the scaffold up seven flights of stairs. Yeah. There's no lift to get them up in. So the risk of somebody falling uh, over on the stairs by carrying all of the items of scaffold up seven floors and there's nowhere to store it up on that seventh floor yeah it, the whole job would be easy from a step ladder yeah so yes. 
So in that case, so there, there's a great example there. Um, so we would just go RPE, right? And the guy turned around to me and said, oh, so legislation's changed, has it? We have to, um, we've got to use <laughs> LEV now. I was like, I'm sorry, what? He said, the legislation mm -hmm. has changed. And I'll, for a second, it made me question myself. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Hey, what? Have I missed something? So yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. like, not as far as I'm aware, mate. Yeah, but let me check. Um, so mm -hmm. I like Googled it, um, and I was like, no, 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 it's 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 kind of the always way. been like that, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh right, wow, well, yeah. And anyway, then kind of interestingly, because I was saying you need to purchase LEV for the for these sites. It's within reason. It is fair. I kind of got mm -hmm. an opinion with another consultant we were working with anyway. I just to triple check that I wasn't losing my mind. Yeah, all good. Right, let's get it. Couple of weeks later, did you get them? Yeah, we got them. I told the boss there was a change in legislation, so um, so we got it. <laughs> no, there isn't a change in legislation. <laughs> so, yeah. But like, still now, I mean, yeah, just mm -hmm. and yeah. the attitude towards it as well. It's just like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, are you work? You working this weekend? Yeah, yeah, I'm working this weekend. What are you doing? Oh, we're just gonna weld some new panels on the top of this uh, this building. Uh, okay, cool. Um, how are you bringing the LEV over? It's gonna be a nightmare to get the LEV. And what have you got? Have you, are you gonna use RPE? Uh, well, you know, I haven't. Um, I'm probably I wear a welding mask. What, yeah, but with respiratory protection one. Yeah, yeah. No, I've yeah. got, I've got. It will just kind of go straight up. It will go yeah, past yeah. me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to breathe it in. And I was just like, wow, fucking hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Still really bad. Well, you know, best mates are bricky, and mm -hmm. and he uses a disc cutter all the time. Um, yeah. The last I saw, he might have changed now. I doubt it. But the last mm -hmm. I, I saw him um, cutting some. Loads of shit, loads of bricks and and everything. Patios a lot. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. There was no hose attached to it, where he's kind of wet. Yeah, 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 yeah. No face yeah. covering or nothing. Just on that point, James. Uh, in support of that point, um, the guru in the UK um, around um, occupational respiratory diseases is a chap by the name of Professor David Fishwick. Right. Um, and if you go to the HSE's website, their lung uh, campaign, uh, Professor Fishwick is uh, the main person who you see presenting uh, in there. Um, so his words, I think it was a 2019 conference um, about, about respiratory health. Um, he was making a point that if you expose your workers to silica dust, they will, they will get silicosis. So, so the, the point uh, being made is, this is one of the occupational diseases you can't not get. All right. Yeah. So if you, if you breathe in respirable crystalline silica, you can't not get silicosis. Now, the level of that silicosis, you know, how much it affects the working person's life, you know, and their health and, and them dying, and their mortality before their time will be proportional, generally speaking, to um, the volume amount and the time they're being expo exposed. So a tiny little bit of exposure, you'll have a tiny problem. A large amount of exp exposure over a long time, you're probably going to die before your time. Wow. And, and I think there's going to be tens and tens of thousands of people dying of, of, of silicosis um, over the next years. 
And during that 2015 presentation by our colleagues at JSP in the Thames Valley IOSH branch, there was a bullet point on the uh, presentation. The HSE estimate is we could have as many as 10 times more people dying of silicosis than have died of all asbestos diseases combined. Shit. And, and I mean, it just blew my mind. And I'm thinking, that can't be right. It, it, it just can't be. Um, and I actually wrote to them, and they gave me the name of the HSE person who said that. And Professor Fishwick is saying something of a similar nature. Yes? Sir Fishwick. Yes, Fishwick. W- yeah, David Fishwick. So he he is the HSE's guru for um, occupational respiratory diseases, and he is an NHS doctor treating people who he's got in his hospitals with uh, occupational um, uh, lung diseases. So he works, I don't know whether it's 50, 50, 60, 40 or something, but he is for, he's working for both organisations using his expertise on, on, on this information. Um, now, um, after those presentations, and again, the JS people came back and said the same kind of things in 2019, I put together a montage of all the information I'd gathered and collected and sent it to BBC Panorama. Yes, because somebody needs to get this out there. Now, one of the things I hope is going to happen here, James, is what I'm trying to say probably badly um, is completely and utterly wrong I hope that and I look like a bit of an idiot at the end of it I really hope I'm completely and utterly wrong because if I am wrong then what it, what we're looking at isn't going to happen mm. and what is going to happen probably is indescribably bad James it's 2022 we put men on the moon in 1969 how are we here? How did this happen? Yeah. Yes. You know, and, and can we see now why I say the things I say? Yeah. yeah. When this kind of evidence-based information, some of it is estimated and, and, and in the hazards campaign, they say, but the estimates are credible and reasonable and evidence-based, etc., etc. Yes. We are not in a good place. And we in Britain are supposed to be the best in the world at this. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm just um, getting Professor Fishwick stuff ready to yeah. link for everybody. Yeah. I've also got your video, which is Stop Silcosis 1938 by the US Department of Labor. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. 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 So, so what might then, be helpful as well, James, is I, I find that. Um, montage of information I put together to send on to BBC Panorama. Yeah. You know, somebody somewhere has got to tell this story to Britain yeah. about what's coming. Um, and again, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope the reason why Panorama didn't get back to me or answer or, 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 or suggest anything would be their researchers have found out that oh, well, he's wrong. Yeah. But I don't think I am, yeah. uh, um, you know, from, from what my lifetime of experience has been. But, uh, but we're not in a comfortable place. And that, you know, that's on top of all the other different kinds of chemicals and dust and, uh, and things which are going on. Um, I think one of the other interesting things as well you, you alluded to earlier, James, is you being a, a young guy, and I'm an old man now, 
um, I started work in 1974, yeah. around about the same time as the Health and Safety at Work Act was yeah. introduced. And all that legislation has come through, you know, the six pack and work at height regs and the cosh regs and uh, lead at work and uh, ionizing radiations and work at all them all them things have come along all the way through my lifetime and you see them you know the reasons why they've been brought in and they've been introduced and are they effective are they not effective uh, and things like that so so at the end of it you know that that history that uh, life lived those lived experiences and things you know gives i hope me a little bit of credibility to say the things i say the way i uh, uh, say them and you know try try and highlight them um and the the kind of difficulty would be is articulating um so the reduction in the level of deaths you know we'll have all seen the graphs you know from the 60s 70s and 80s up in the tens of thousands of people died yeah and then it's kind of gradually reduced down and down and down and for the last kind of eight 10 12 years we've plateaued sometimes it's 160 sometimes it's 120 sometimes it's 150 sometimes so that kind of thing is just bubbling along the bottom and uh dom cooper professor dom cooper uh he he uh, often you know says things when there's another uh, dreadful accident comes along so from my view of the world coming from where i've come from you know before this legislation all came in one of the main reasons why we've stopped killing so many people is not because of the Health and Safety at Work Act and not because of the Health and, uh, the health and Safety Executive. It's because the industries that traditionally killed all the people have gone. Have gone, yeah. Yes. So it's not that we're particularly better at safety. I mean, we are better at safety. There's no, there, there is no doubt about that, generally speaking. But the industries, the mining industry, quarrying, uh, the shipbuilding industry, steel making, uh, you know, those kind of big, heavy industry types of things. And of course, lots of people who are dying now of occupational diseases work in those industries. So once all of the older people who work there have died and they've gone, you know, guys my age and slightly older, the next cohort of people who are suffering dreadful is, is modern day legislation. So they've been protected by the legislation that came in in the late 80s and the 90s. That's the next cohort of people are going to die, and it doesn't look as if it's worked. Yeah. There is, there is also the, the, the flip side of it. It's just like this, this sheer, which I've moaned about so much on the podcast, just this acceptance of 140 people on average dying every year. Yeah. It's it's. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know nobody is doing this, but it kind of feels like we're all patting ourselves on the back that oh, it's only 140 again this year. Well done. Yeah. Oh, it's 127 yeah. this year. Well done. Or is 130 mm -hmm. this year? Well done. I'm just like, really? Huh? <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make sense mm -hmm. to me that we still. And and I remember I I think one of my most unpopular posts I ever did because um, obviously we put out so much content uh, for the last four years and some of it's popular some of it's not popular but one of the most unpopular pieces we put out was where I said something around the lines of 
as a safety profession, if we all say that we exist to make sure people go home from work the same as they came in, mm-hmm. just that's a very common phrase that people yeah, say. Yeah, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every time those HSE stats come out every year, if they've not improved, we need to hold ourselves to account to say that we failed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the response I got was, no, it's yeah, not yeah. our fault. It's not yeah, our fault. Yeah. It's the MDs, it's the CEOs, blah, blah, blah. But if our job is to influence those people to make said apparently right decisions, yeah. I say it, the right in quotations, um, then we failed at that. Oh, no, no, it's just because this is out of our control. Yeah, but we can't sit here and say, what well, I'm proud of what I do at work because I make sure people go home safe. But then when people don't go home, home safe, not hold ourselves accountable. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I don't get it. So I I, I want to I know we put out, maybe IOSH put out some magazines, Double RSM put out some magazines. And, and there is stuff going on behind the scenes, but like, it's been over a decade, mate. Like I've been in safety over a decade, yeah. And those stats have never changed over yeah. a decade. They have yeah. never changed, and I've never once in that decade gone. Now that's something I see from one of the big professional bodies or one of yeah. the big charities or one that that I think is genuinely going to make a difference. Not one, yeah. not. Yeah. One. Yeah. And and someone might say, "Oh, that's a bit harsh." We did this campaign once or whatever, but like, if I'm still going and talking to small businesses now, and they haven't, they they think that LEV is now a legislation change, or they've never heard of silicosis, or they 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 still think asbestos is dealt with; it's not a problem yeah. anymore. You know, wh- whatever it is, if I still see videos on TikTok of a guy standing on top of those old-fashioned work platforms that have no edge protection, you know, like yeah, yeah. what they—I can't remember what they call them—but like the little, not the step-ups, they're quite high, like maybe a yeah. couple of meters up, a couple of planks of wood on it. Off you go, like. Trestle. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I just think, you know, it's just I don't, I don't yeah. know. Mate. I go. But did, did did you see that um, uh, montage of photographs came into the LinkedIn feed a little while ago? Um, I think earlier this year, with um, a working person on a UK construction site doing a fairly heavy duty looking piece of work you know, with diggers and uh, cranes and various items in flip-flops. No, I didn't see that, no. Yeah, and it, it was, you know, it was like you, you were looking at something you might see in the developing world. Um, and I said, no, this is Britain. This is today in Britain. Yeah. And it's, it's I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. Uh, do, do you not think as well, like, our focus would is typically on something like that, like, Everyone would go nuts for that, won't they? They'd be yeah, like, oh, should yeah. be wearing steel toe caps. But like, mm-hmm. there's so many really big problems out there yeah, that yeah, are still yeah. maiming and, and killing people. Yeah, yeah. But we just don't talk about yeah, yeah, anywhere yeah. near yeah. enough. Conversations I see are always, you know, oh, look, this person's leaning on a ladder. And I get that's a big risk. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's a couple of meters off the ground or on yeah, the castle, yeah. it's on a couple of meters well, off the ground, but not. This geezer right on the top of the roof with no edge protection. He's wearing a high vis and a hard hat, though. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah, and, and uh, it's kind of false equivalence, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, um, uh, the guy is working outright dangerously. The protective equipment he's got is not for the things the person's doing dangerously. Yeah. But he's, you know, the, the guy's got his hat, and his glasses, and his and his eye vis on. 
that is going to get squashed by a 10-ton load dropping. Yeah. So we've spent about 30 years getting working people into protective equipment. Yeah. And it's generally the first thing we reach for. Yeah. You know, rather than the LEB or something like that. So here, here would be my challenge for the next generations of safety people coming in to do what they're going to do. So the challenge would be is, how do we make work safe enough to get rid of all that protective equipment? So the work is kind of intrinsically safe. So, yeah. so that might take another 30 years. But James, who's working on that? Yeah. Where's where's IOSH? Where's I, uh, IIRSM and um, HSW and SHP? How could so, how could they say that, Vince, when their magazines and everything are sponsored by all of those PPE companies? That's one of their mm-hmm. main revenue streams. Yeah, yeah. There's three opportunities you're giving me now, James, to say I rest my case. My <laughs> <laughs> so Oops, one of the little yeah. bullet points um, in the in the notes uh, that we shared to start. Yeah, was was around the um, agenda for safety, uh, particularly in the kind of G seven economies, um, the uh, OECD type economies, where safety one, safety two, HOP, yeah. BBS, um, um, reliance based safety, yeah. um, and all of these kind of phrases, Kneffin. Uh, um, or yeah. however it's pronounced, if I if I've made a mistake, Knevin. Dave Snowden, uh, without my apologies, it's it's Knevin. So the, Knevin. Okay, my, my it's like a, it's oh, like but, a but that, that, as well. kind of, that agenda. Yeah. Uh, where the 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 most senior people, the leaders, the uh, policy makers, the influencers around the world of safety, have all got their little kind of uh, arguments and. Uh, systems and things going in in the kind of things I'm trying to articulate about the global workforce. Those kind of initiatives, HOP and Safety Two and uh, Reliance and these kind of things, get to maybe two, three, four percent of the global workforce if we're lucky. Yeah, and the rest of them, I don't think an unreasonable characterization for most of the working people in the global workforce is attritional survival. Yes? So there's a phrase, you know, and and look at the numbers what has this campaign and the International Labour Organization um, and these type of people are putting out, you know, um, uh, every year at least 2.9 million people killed by and because of work. Yes? in the global workforce yeah this 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 information isn't getting there so so in in its simplest form i think six basics kind of need to overtake the conversation yes safe and healthy workers safe and healthy work safe and healthy workplace safe and healthy work assets safe and healthy work output and safe and healthy work relationships. Mm. Yes. So all of the things all added together to come to a point. So that has to be the aspiration of safety people, of employers, of unions, of interested bodies, of the hazards campaign people, etc. 
for them six basic items, that's how working people should be able to go to work across the globe. And I don't think we've got that anywhere on the globe. What about and the evidence-based facts would suggest I'm right? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think I think I think you are right. I don't think we're anywhere near it. What about those industries though that are? Can you have a health and uh, safe and healthy work, for example, in a job that is inherently quite dangerous? So I don't know. Let's think. I don't know. The R and L I. You know, they're they're okay. Go okay. out in the middle. Of, I'm just just being a fire service. Yeah. You know. So 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 there will be a level of risk that's acceptable for the greater good of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the way I would try and explain to people who maybe haven't done a great deal of health and safety training, we've got this uh, in the UK and many other parts of the world, so far as is reasonably practicable. Yes. This kind of amorphous set of words. And yeah. then you'll see people like puzzling and figuring and think, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Yes. And it can, it can mean one thing in one industry or one workplace and something different, the same set of words. Yeah. So I've tried to use my company name, RSVP. Okay. So the risk controls, are they relevant? Are they specific? Do they bring value? And are they proportional to the hazards, risks, and dangers that you are putting your people to? Uh, and generally, there's a bit of a hallelujah, ta-da, light bulb moment. I get that. Yeah, yes? Yeah. The other thing as well, if we look at the definition around most of the world of health and safety of accident, we are talking about in context of working people, doing work activity, in a workplace, using work assets, producing work as uh, output, and getting along together at work. Let's collectively call that work. Yeah. Okay, all that together. Right. Yep. So the common definition of a work accident in that context would be an unplanned, uncontrolled event that causes harm or has the potential to. Yeah. Most safety people around the world would understand that little phrase, that little sentence. And if there's one or two words slightly different, so in its basic form, you fall downstairs at work or you fall downstairs at home. You probably didn't plan to. And when you are bouncing arse over tit down the stairs, you've, you're not in control. Yeah. So just, just think about that, that concept. So we got the phrases risk assessment, uh, you know, method statements and things like that. So, so I changed the vocabulary in my organization as part of this kind of evolution into trying to get better at everything we did in planning and controlling work. So there's the word association between an accident, the unplanned and controlled event, and in order to reduce the chances, the opportunity, the probability of an unplanned and controlled event, what's the plan and how are you keeping control? Mm -hmm. Right? And then apply RSVP in order to put something in place to either eliminate, reduce, isolate, or control those hazards, risks, and dangers. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and that was the way I came uh, about trying to do this. And it was it was mind-blowing. You know, just, uh, just stuff I figured out for myself through all the years of doing this, 
there has to be a slightly easier way. So I, I had the great honor of taking all the 16 year old apprentices straight out of school and we took them on a full week's residential health and safety induction course, a full week to start their apprenticeships in SSE and Southern Electric Contracting. And I did that for many, many years. We went from 20 apprentices to 200 apprentices. I probably had about a thousand apprentices I've had, you know, for a full week to try to educate and coach them uh, to get them started and some foundation in them for, for their health and safety at work. Um, and, and there was one of the ways we actually got that kind of eureka, that light bulb. And I would say I probably s stood in front of five, six thousand people in my work life and, and said these things. It, do it doesn't take very long. We'll do some little exercises around it. And the number of people that will come back and say, why did nobody ever explain safety like that before? You know, never heard them words, never, never saw it in that context, the rest of it. And when something goes wrong, when you do fall down the stairs or you tip a, a, a tray of cups of coffee down your workmate's back or a rocket ship decides to blow up, you know, in, in the middle of the atmosphere, you know, all these things happen in the world. Two questions we start with would be, what was the plan and how did you intend to keep control? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because you've had an accident, something's happened there that you didn't expect to, you know, the unplanned and control event, um, and it's kind of worked. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, through that time. So so my view of the world might be a bit left field, a bit slightly different than the rest of it, but, the, but the, you know, the challenges have got to be, uh, how do we make the legislation we've got actually work? You know, what's stopping it from working? Yeah. Is it is it safety, people? trying to get their brownie points and their bonuses with their employers by making things look better than they actually are. Yes. Uh, you know, think about the ESG agenda, environmental, uh, uh, social and governance. Social you know, yeah. um, ESG. Yeah. Um, so uh, have has that um, new phenomena around the world uh, become you know, the front for telling the corporate story that we want out to the world. But behind the scenes there, all this destruction and death and uh, pestilence and diseases going on. Well, that's, that's, I mean, there is, I don't know whether I want to say this, actually. <laughs> there, there, there's so much going on in the world that is, it's just massive. And, and that all need to be folk, you know, the, it all needs to be be done, right? You know, we're talking about sending women up to uh, the the moon, and that should definitely happen, right? We should put a woman yeah. on the moon. Yeah. We really should do that, right? We should have women in 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 NASA and and be, you know, just to have one woman in the room when we sent a man to the moon was just was just shocking. Uh, I've got a daughter, and I, and I just think God, I want a better world for yeah, of course, women, yeah. Right? There, we're talking about. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of other examples of whether we're trying to solve problems that sometimes I think we seem to have gone in our head like, yep, like sustainability is another example, right? We're doing, trying to solve all of these problems with like the cost of living crisis. It's huge right now. That's a massive yeah. energy bills have what tripled over mm -hmm. a matter of a couple of months. They're probably going to triple again. It's such, such a huge problem. Yeah. Just think, 
we're not really talking about like the root cause of a lot of these problems. Yeah. I think safety is very much the same. So we would take ESG as your example, right? We're still not talking about the root cause yeah. of these yeah. problems. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it's just because the economy is not it's not designed. Mm-hmm. Well, to- I'm 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 saying it out loud, uh, James. It's profit at any cost mm. runs the world. Yeah. So, um, um, and I would go so far as to say, and again, there might be people scream, uh, you know, and it causes a, a wealth of uh, kind of negative comments here. Um, the volume of people, the numbers of people who are killed, injured, disabled, maimed, poisoned, victimized, exploited in the global workforce, it has to be obscenely profitable to harm working people. It has to be. The fiduciary duty, you know, and and the governance of the board of directors of most of the corporations and businesses in the world is the the delivery of uh, return and profit to the owners, the beneficial owners, the shareholders of the organization. And they are usually remunerated as a result of the the profit performance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and quite simply, if it's if it costs less to care than kill, people will be looked after. Mm. If it costs less to kill than care, I'm sorry, you're going to die. Yeah, and, and I, I, I don't think it's any more complicated than that. And, and by the fact that many people are dying as a result of the work they've done according to the facts and the information and the rest of it, it has to be obscenely profitable to kill people at yeah. work across the world. And you can use, a, again, the diversity case to back that up in the fact that, you know, the, the majority, well, last I was told from the research done by uh, Lorenzo Vicente, I think his name is, if I remember rightly, um, all medicines are tested on men, not women, um, because women's bodies are too um, kind of active with the menstrual cycle and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. too much, whereas men's bodies are and, and our states are biochemical states are quite quite stable, whereas mm-hmm. women are not with the menstrual cycle. So we don't test on women because it's not profitable to test on women because it would take too long and actually no drug is likely to pass because the results would be too. Oh, I wasn't aware of any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Where most PPE doesn't fit the female body, so you have... Of course, yeah, yeah, I am aware of that, yeah. yeah. That where you have stab vests that uh, a lot of women mm-hmm. are known to take off, bulletproof vests as well, but to take off the, 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 the plate in the front because it just it hurts so much. Yeah, yeah, so yeah of course, yeah. So it would cost too much money for us to mould a bulletproof vest to the shape of a female body. The list... <laughs> The list literally goes on. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's painfully scary to listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm, and, and again, just to kind of make my point very clear, is when I say, like, when I use putting a woman on the moon as an example, what I'm saying is we should 100% put a woman on the room on the on on the moon. However, we're not even giving women drugs that have been tested on women. We're not even giving women PPE that is designed for women. Well, yeah, and and yeah. I'm just like, I mean, there's things yeah, that we could yeah. be focusing on it's, here. It's only just over half of the population of Earth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, we're not even like fair, safe, 
and healthy mm-hmm. it's our normal everyday work that we do all the time and the conversations i hear the majority of media having i'm just like mate we're still killing a shitload of people a year we're still yeah. we're still forcing women to wear stuff that that just doesn't work like for yeah. We just the list just goes on and it's scary. When yeah. when you Vince, when you came across the hazard campaign and and those figures, did you have like a a glass smash moment? You, I know you touched on it when you said about the silicosis example. Was that was that mm-hmm. the first time where you thought shit? We're not really as good as as what we think we are, or was it gradual? Was there like a glass? Uh, yeah. Well, moment? um, in, in all my work life. You know the education I've done and the and getting into safety. There, there always been um, a kind of a concern and a worry and a thought and something I've articulated as we as we alluded to at the start of the the podcast. You know that that person with a bit of bravery to say, "Excuse me, mm. we need to look over there." So that's always been in me. Been natural. The the you know curiosity and dig into something and try to find out and think oh my word I, I didn't quite expect to see that that's not what the headlines say that you know that's that's not what the, the common knowledge of this information is mm. when you get down to the hazards campaign you know for me it was like well I suspect these kind of things but then it puts into kind of stark contrast mm. so here's some evidence based fact and some credible and reasonable level of estimates you know done by credible reasonable people uh you know with knowledge of the subject is presented to you and it's you know worse than what i thought and there's the evidence i've been looking for yeah yeah so in in um um looking at like like why is the world the way it is yeah you know uh with these kind of international trade agreements where if a sovereign country's government asks a big corporation to stop spewing toxics into their rivers because they've run out of clean water, that's uh, fit for human beings. Mm. Um, and the the uh, big um, uh, kind of global corporation says, well, we now, need, we now need to build a treatment plant that's going to cost us $150 million dollars. So you signed a, a trade agreement with us. So now the taxpayers of your country have to pay for our... <laughs> the shit. And, I mean, and people look and think, no, that doesn't happen. Well, James, yes, it does. Yes, yeah. you know, Ecuador and uh, all the stuff that happened around the, the, the Amazon, you know, the oil spills and things, and, you know, you have to clean this up. Well, I now we're not agree. I think as well, people think it's it's places like it's the third world parts. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. No. Whereas no. you can go watch a documentary on Flint's. I think it's Flint City in America. Yeah, yeah, in Michigan. Yeah. Was just well, it just 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 Google Flint City people. Yeah, yeah. It's mid USA. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, Flint is mid USA. Yeah, uh, yeah. You just think it is. It is. If you. The more you get into this, the more you start to think it is profit over people, 100%. Well, um, I'm all for profit. You know, mm -hmm. I run a company myself. I want to make profit 100%. Of course, yeah. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. I don't want to 
I always somebody asked me the other day, like Jane, like kind of what what's your des- desire with for the company? And I was kind of I was like, don't get me wrong, I want Risk Fluent to be huge, and I want to be unbelievably successful. I come from a very poor background, and I literally fear being poor. Yeah. However, I do not want to lay in my deathbed and be like, I'm I'm rich, but but be slightly questionable as to how yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's a, there's a, and that's why I love that kind of a story that I used before with Jane from the World of Work podcast is that some things are business case and some things are moral case. And we weigh up the two all the time. Not everything is a business case, which I really, that's why I really love something like that. The, the, The point would be is the beneficial owners of most of the corporations in the world, if there's a balance between the business case that will turn profit and a moral case that would reduce their profits, the business case for profits will win the argument. If, however, the negative press and negative information would be so damaging to that organization's reputation, they have to do it, there's the leverage you need. Mm. But then you get an ESG person to come and tell the right story. Put the right information out, cherry pick all the good stuff. Yes. Yeah. And the ESG people out there, you'll be all screaming, I guess. No, no, that's not what we do. I think we'll find the evidence and the facts uh, uh, would be would be contrary uh, you know, to, um, to, to that. You know, in, in like the ESG world, the environment world, sustainability world, you have the, the kind of phenomenon, I suppose, called greenwashing. Have you heard that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So where a company says we plant a hundred trees, blah blah blah. Yeah, all that good actually, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. they're spewing shit. Well, actually, bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they're spewing shit into rivers and blah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you? This this is the first time I've I've said this on the podcast, and I've been thinking about it a while. I think there's such a thing, and I think it happens right now in safe washing. Yes, I think that we that we are safe washing in these companies that are like we've just won and I and I I've worked for one of them. We've got a Rochester Gold Award. We've got yeah, yeah. ISO yeah. for uh, fourteen mm-hmm. thousand. 9,000, 45,000. This award, we've won Rosper Gold Award 20 million times in the last five years or whatever. But actually, when I'm working in the company, behind the scenes, it's a shitstorm and we don't give a crap <laughs> about people. And, yeah. and we were genuinely really yeah. seriously hurting people. And you, when you we do, raise that you up. You do realise, James, when this podcast goes out, we're about as popular as a fart in a spacesuit. But at least yeah. I can lay in my dead bed, mate, and fit say, say Yeah, say it the way it is. And, and yes, you know, I've, I, I've won, you know, my personal work uh, in the early 2000s, we won the Industry Sector Award in Rosper. Yeah, yeah, one of the top awards and may have even been a finalist for the George Earl Trophy. Right. The very top one. Yeah, so all the industries go together. And I think the year it was maybe Kellogg's or something like that one. We were just a little organisation at the time. Yeah. Yes. I don't think we'd even put the nail in the wall in order to hang the certificate on, and we had the first guy dead. Mm. Yep. I, just, I, I think... And it, it's like, I mean, it's a stab in the heart, you know, all yeah. the stuff you've tried and yeah. you've checked and you've double-checked and you've treble-checked and you've looked and looked and looked, 
And then somewhere around there, somebody's kind of sneaking around, doing some stuff that shouldn't be. The management haven't caught up with it or they have, and they've turned a blind eye. And a young man, age 28, uh, is killed at his work and leaves two kids behind under five years of age. Yeah. And we've got the phone on the desk of the MD uh, waiting for the widow to phone the husband. We had no contacts or anything like this uh, for the person to ring and say, where are you? And uh, we had to answer the phone to see if he ain't coming home. Yeah. I've done all that, James. I've picked the body parts up and, and yeah. the rest. And do you know what? It's a bit tiresome. Yeah. Yeah, it is a bit tiresome. And still the same arguments and still the same fights and, and the rest of it. And, and uh, what you're doing here is wonderful. Mm, thank you. Yeah. But uh, really, um, to, to try to kind of highlight and get people to look, and you, you know you're going to have people push back. You know there might be some negative comments and the rest of it. But the facts of the matter, mm. yes? You know, uh, look at this with a kind of forensic lens. We are not very good at this. No. We are not very good at this. No. Yes. And, and I think your your safety washing comparison with green washing and sports washing and reputation laundering and those phrases what's going around the world now. Yep, I, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Yeah. You heard it here first. Copyright. Yes. <laughs> I need to write a book. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good man. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say. And and it is you, you're very right. I can I can relate to kind of what you've said a couple of times in that this this mm-hmm. this doesn't make you popular. Re, rebranding. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come to me and say, "Oh, I must be awesome being doing rebranding safety." I've actually struggled to get jobs, not been able to get. Job yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been yeah. asked to take the podcast mm-hmm. down by yeah. three of the major, three of the major recruiting specialists in safety recruitment agencies. Yeah. Uh, asked me to come temporarily bring down rebound and safety and so on, yeah. And, yeah. and I said no. It, it, there's a reason why I was self-employed. <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe we weren't employable. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm self-employed now. I mean, I'm in. I know in my third generation of work. Yeah. So 20 years deep mining, yeah. you know, hard, grinding, physical, struggling, dangerous, horrible work that I'm suffering badly for now. Yeah. My body is broken. I've been in hospital uh, in a couple of weeks' time when I'm in. And that will be the 27th time I'll have been in hospital to have something fairly significant done in the last 10 years, 27 times. And it's all body parts breaking down, 16 spine operations and, uh, interventions and stuff like that, and a, a, and a host of other stuff. But um, I enjoyed my work. Yeah, really thoroughly enjoyed my work and, and got a great deal from it. Then another twenty years uh, in SSE, uh, doing contracting and the main business there. Again, a wonderful breadth of experiences and activities and uh, initiatives, and I mean, absolutely fantastic. And then. From 2014 onwards, self-employed. So I'm now working with a group of people generally around their kind of mid-20s uh, uh, up to about 40. I mean, kind of two generations after me and trying to make a positive contribution to keep that group of people safe. Yeah. And they are putting stuff in space that's never been done in the history of mankind. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, putting technology on the International Space Station, sending stuff up to Mars and I mean, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. So I've come from a half-mile underground up to outer space. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's out of this world, James. Absolutely out of this world. And I bet there's not many safety people can say that, and I've done most bits in between as well. Yeah. Yeah. What a mate. I've done all right. I've done all right. But uh, till you know, till till I'm on that deathbed, I will keep saying what I say and doing what I do yeah. and trying to 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 get the world a better place for working people. Yeah, like that, mate. Well, on that note, I'm going to have to wrap this up because I've got okay. an, I've got another interview, mate. So thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it's a pleasure, James, and thanks for asking me. And I hope you get a lot from this, and the listeners and viewers do. And you heard it first. Safety washing from James McPherson. <laughs> Goodbye. We will. Um, I'll put the silicosis video, which I'm going to watch yeah. after this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put that in the description. I'll put the hazard campaign in the description as well. I'll put your LinkedIn in the description. People want to yeah. connect with you. And anything else you want to give a shout out to? Uh, it was just. Um, I will send to you that uh, montage of information I put together that I sent into the Panorama BBC to yeah. try to get the silicosis issue highlighted. Yeah. Um, and there might be some resources in there you could share. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay. We can give that to the audience. Thanks, James. You take Thanks care. Stay lot, safe, man. stay healthy, stay happy. And best wishes for Risk Fluent and all you do. Thank you, mate. Okay, peeps, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Vince. If you did, try and think of one person you can share it with. Maybe it's a colleague that you think, you know what, I've been telling you for years, we need to do better, and this is why. Maybe share that. Maybe it's a boss that goes, we didn't think about this. Maybe we should start doing better. Maybe we need to be better. Maybe you can use this to help you as a kind of evidence towards the next project that you're trying to get across the line or the budget you're trying to get approval from. Just think of one person you can share this episode with. If you enjoyed it and you're not subscribed, hit subscribe, hit follow, blah, blah, blah. If you want to help us out, RiskFluent and Rebranding Safety, you can go and buy yourself some merch on our website, www.riskfluentltd.com. Or if you need some help with this stuff, then we are a consultancy as well. So you can go and check that out. We provide everything from technical, normal health and safety all the way up to kind of human organization performance, behavioral change, culture change type stuff, whatever you want to call it. If you want to find out some more, go to www.riskfluentltd.com or you can email me, james at riskfluentltd.com. Otherwise, I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.